0: listening to a message from Bethany First Church of the Nazarene online at bethanynaz.org.
1: You know, we're talking about thin places in our lives. Those moments when God breaks through, speaks to us. It's when a person says, hey, Pastor Rick, that experience was like being in the presence of God in a way that I've never quite experienced The presence of God. So we've had this kind of journey in our family. Annette had surgery, but she's back today and really glad that she's here. But we've had a lot of love from the church, cards and prayers and even meals. And this one lady brought us an awesome meal, lasagna. And so after I ate the lasagna, I sent her a text after dinner and said, "Um, I just experienced a very thin place. I had a plate of your lasagna. And so she writes me back and she says, that's funny because after I eat a plate of my lasagna, I don't feel thin places anywhere. (laughs) So we're talking about a different kind of thin place, okay? We're talking about a thin place where that God breaks through into our lives, speaks to us, reveals himself to us, makes himself known. And so you've had thin places, haven't you? Where the distance between heaven and earth just seems to vanish. And the distance that you sometimes feel from God just seems to vanish. And you catch a glimpse of the divine. The theological support is that God is incarnational. That God comes to us. That God is not off in the distance. That God comes to where we are and He involves Himself in our lives. Pushes up his sleeves, we've been saying, and he gets involved in the mess of humanity. Now, lean in just a minute, okay? The greatest expression, the greatest expression of this is when God came to this earth in the form of a little baby in Jesus. He actually moved into one of our neighborhoods. I mean, God came to right where we are. God became one of us. Jesus said, if you have seen the Father, rather, if you have seen me, then you have seen the Father. And so in all of this understanding of thin places and God coming to where we are and not being distant, but being involved in our lives, um, I have found something very interesting. So when you preach every Sunday... Sometimes you have this experience where you realize that you've kind of hit a nerve. And the reason you realize that is because you get more emails than you normally get or more conversations in the hallway than you normally get or more conversations in the aisle uh, than you normally get. And people are kind of telling me their stories. And so I've read many stories over these last few weeks about the thin places in your life, those moments when God broke through into your life and you experienced His presence. And so... What I found interesting about all of those stories is that God often comes to us and we experience thin places in times of crisis. Most of you who have written me have said, I want to tell you about a very thin place in my life. And almost all of you, not everybody, but almost all of you have described God coming to you in a moment of crisis. It's almost like these are your words. Pastor Rick, in the darkest hour of my life, I turned and who was there but God? Like in the very darkest hour of my life, I turned to find none other than God there with me. So here's what I want to do I want you to open your Bible to the book of Genesis. And we'll continue the story of this guy named Abraham that we've been studying for the last several weeks. And we'll start in chapter 22, okay? Now, you remember the story. And the story is that there is a problem. And you remember what the problem is? It's sin. And so God says, I've got to deal with this sin problem. And so I'm going to start a new nation. I'm going to build this whole new nation and I'm going to speak to the whole world through this nation. In fact, God says, I'm going to offer forgiveness of sin to the whole world through this nation. And so he enters into a covenant with a man whose name is Abraham. Abraham is 75 years old. His wife is 65 years old and they have not had children. They are barren. And God makes a promise to Abraham that I'm going to give you offspring more than you can count and I'm going to give you land. And he says to Abraham, leave your country, your father's household, your people, and follow me. And Abraham obeys and follows God. And sure enough, when he's 100 years old and his wife is 90 years old, they have a little baby and they name him Isaac. And Sarah laughs and said, who would have thought that I could have given Abraham a baby in his old age? Now, God keeps appearing to Abraham. Because that's what God does. God comes to us. God is incarnational. God makes himself known. God speaks to us. God gets involved in our lives. And so throughout his life, God kept showing up in Abraham's life. And Abraham was very aware of God's presence. And he kept building altars. Remember last week, everywhere he went. And he would acknowledge God and he would give thanks to God. And he would call upon the name of the Lord. And God says to Abraham, can you build one more altar? Hey, Abe, do you have one more altar in you? And so that's how the story goes. Chapter 22, verse 1. So sometime later, God tested Abraham. Now, those first few words are kind of uh, hard. Don't you agree? Um, I mean, what if you had to start your next paragraph with, uh, Pastor Rick, God decided to test me. I mean that's kind of hard right that doesn't sound appealing to any of us um god decided that he was going to put me through a test that sounds kind of tough and so he said to him abraham because that's what god does god speaks to us right here i am he replied meaning abraham replied and then god said take your son your only son whom you love isaac Okay, God, you're talking about my son of promise. The son that you're going to build a nation through, right? Isaac, the son that you've given me. Okay, I've got it. Where do I take Isaac? And he says, go to the region of Moriah. Now that is present-day Jerusalem. The next sentence is enough to knock you onto your back. It's enough to take the very breath out of you. It'll take the wind out of your sails. So here we go. Sacrifice him there as a burnt offering. On a mountain, I will show you. Now, this is ultimate confusion. Because nowhere has God ever asked anyone to participate in human sacrifice. When Noah gets off the ark, he builds an altar and he offers a sacrifice to God. It's animals. Throughout the history of the Old Testament, there are sacrifices made to God. Animal sacrifices to give thanks to God and to ask for an atonement of the sins of the people. But nowhere ever was there any conversation with anybody... About human sacrifice. However, in light of that, verse 3 says, Early the next morning, Abraham got up and loaded his donkey. He took with him two of his servants and his son Isaac. And, we had, and when he had cut enough wood for the burnt offering, he set out for the place God had told him about. So on the third day, meaning it was a three day journey, Abram looked up and saw the place in the distance. And he said to his servants, now I think you're going to find this interesting, right? Because he's supposed to go offer Isaac as a sacrifice. But he said to his servants, stay here with the donkey while I and the boy go over there. We will worship and then we, did you hear it? We will come back to you. And so Abraham took the wood for the burnt offering and placed it on his son Isaac So I don't know how old Isaac is, but he's got to be big enough to carry an armload of firewood, right? So he's got to be like teenage age maybe to be able to do that. And so he puts the wood on Isaac and he himself carried the fire and the knife. As the two of them went on together, Isaac spoke up. And he said to his father, Abraham, Father, now you're seeing the confusion within Isaac at this point. Yes, my son, Abraham replied. Well, the fire and the wood are here, Isaac said, but where is the lamb for the burnt offering? And Abraham answered, God himself, Isaac, he will provide the lamb for the burnt offering, my son. And the two of them went on together. Now... Here, the story begins to get difficult. So, when they reached the place God had told him about, Abraham built an altar there and arranged the wood on it, and he bound his son Isaac and laid him on the altar. Now, if I was a teenage boy and my dad was trying to tie me onto this altar with wood on it, where I had seen sacrifices offered before, I think my dad would have had trouble getting me tied down to that altar. And so, I don't know. We talk a lot about Abraham's faith. Maybe we should talk about Isaac's faith. I just don't know. I don't have enough of the story. He bound his son Isaac and had him on the altar on top of the wood. Then he reached out his hand and he took the knife to slay his son. But the angel of the Lord called out to him from heaven, Abraham, Abraham, here am I, he replied. Do not lay a hand on the boy, he said. Do not do anything to him. Now I know that you fear God because you have not withheld from your from him your son, your one and only son. I really botched up reading that verse. Can I read it again? Now I know that you fear God because you have not withheld from me, your son, your only son. And so Abraham looked up, and there in the thicket he saw a ram caught by his horns. He went over and he took the ram and he sacrificed it as a burnt offering instead of his son. And so Abraham called that place, the Lord will provide. And to this day it is said, on the mountain of the Lord it will be provided. So this is God's word for us today. What can we learn from it and how can we apply this to our lives? So there's a lady who attends our church, her name is Dr. Amy Seams, and she wrote me an email the other day, and I asked her if I could maybe share some of her words, and she said, no, that's fine, I don't mind at all. And so she said, I've been thinking a lot about these thin places. And this week in my devotions, I'm reading in the book of Jonah. And as I'm reading in the book of Jonah, it occurs to me that thin places can sometimes be very uncomfortable places. Like... In the belly of a whale or when your shade tree dies. And so she said, all of my life when I think about these thin places, I kind of want to think about them as places of comfort or this little slice of heaven on earth. But when I look back over my life, I realize my experience has been thin places came when God was maybe stretching me or challenging me or helping me through a very difficult time. And so she tells me the story of her husband, Fred, her first husband, Fred, who was killed in a tragic accident. And she says, what happens when you go through something like that is you are tempted to live in fear. Like, what if something else really bad happens in our lives? You can spend your time worrying about what if something bad happens again. She said, When Fred passed away for about a year of my life, I lived in a very thin place. God was so close, He was so real, He was so near. I prayed all the time. And when I'm tempted now to be afraid, I hear God say, Amy, I carried you once and I will carry you again. And she said the sweet memory of that thin place in my life throughout that year helps banish any fear of what is unknown in my future. Now, I want you to think with me about your own life. The reason I think it's important that I remind you that thin places often comes in times of crisis, and the reason I want to talk to you about what Amy said is because I think that you and I are tempted to think like Amy is tempted to think or was tempted to think. It's like when I think of thin places, I think about, you know, these uh, times of comfort or this little slice of heaven on earth. For me, it's kind of like uh, when I've stood on like the most beautiful beach I've ever stood on and I looked out at the ocean and I was just overwhelmed at God's creative ability. And I was like, God, you are, you're incredible. Or what I felt when I stood at the rim of the Grand Canyon. I just felt like God was just with me in that moment. His presence was so real. Or when I looked into the face of our first little baby Brittany when she was born. Or maybe when you're in a church service. And when you just feel the presence of God and it overwhelms you. And you just feel just chills on the back of your neck. And you just feel like... God, you're so close. Or when He answers some prayer that just seemed to you to be unanswerable. Thin places. But what about those moments when life is really tough and God comes to you? What about those moments when you feel like your life just got turned upside down? You don't understand it. It makes no sense. You're struggling to get through it. That's where Abraham was. I'm telling you, when you read this story, he was in the eye of the hurricane. His life was spinning out of control. And what we do is we tend to say to God, how could you have me go through this? Or why would you do this? Or what possibly good could come out of this? Or what, what is a reason that even begins to justify any of this? And and I don't know what Abraham did those three days on that journey to Moriah. But I know that if I was Abraham, I can tell you what I would have been doing. I would have been saying things like, why, God? And I would have been making assumptions. Do you remember Abraham's big mess up when he lied about Sarah being his wife? And would Abraham on the journey be saying, is this why, God? Because of me messing up back there, are you going to punish me now for that? I mean, is the promise off the table because I didn't keep up my end of the deal? Was it maybe really a deal after all? Is this some kind of a test? I think all of us get caught up in his agony. And we ask this question. Does the end really justify the means? I mean, if the outcome is now I know, Abraham, that you fear me and that you have no one above me, not even your son. I mean, isn't that kind of a harsh way to get to that point? What do you do? What do I do when we find ourselves in moments of crisis? You know what I think we do? I think we pray more. Even if the prayer life has been a little bit cool lately, when we find ourselves in crisis, we pray more. What if you had a graph of your own life from when you were born until now, and that graph was about your prayer life? And as you learn to call upon the name of the Lord, what does that graph look like for you? And are there spikes, like really big spikes? You know when I moved here five years ago, you know what, You know what I had in my life, major spike. I thought many times, I wish I could pray like I prayed when I first moved here. I, I felt like I was in crisis, big spike. I think about over the last five years, when something has happened with one of my girls and I've been really concerned about them, prayer life, prayer life, prayer life, big spike. And just to be completely transparent with you, with what we are going through in the transition in the second service with Kyle Owen no longer being on our staff, big spike. I got a feeling there's many of you who would say, Rick, right now, big spike. I sit in my office and I listen to people say to me who are going through crisis, whatever those crises might look like. I'll tell you something, Rick. Okay. One thing I can say about this crisis I'm going through, I have prayed more in the last three weeks than I have prayed in the last three years. No wonder we find thin places in times of crisis. In the darkest hour of my life, I turned and who was there but God himself. I think the question always is, what do you do with this? How are we going to apply this to our lives this week? So let me let me share with you something that's pretty intimate for me. I, I, I moved here and only a few months after we'd gotten here, I finished preaching on a Sunday morning. And... Uh, and I was, you know, shaking hands with people. And, uh, and somewhere along the way, for some reason, I, I looked at my phone. And, and there was a text from a friend of mine named John. Now, John and I became really good friends the last, say, six months that I was in uh, Cincinnati. When I say really good friends, I mean spent more time with John probably than uh, most anybody else. Maybe one exception or two at the church. We had a lot of lunches together. And I look at my phone, and I can't believe what I'm reading. Here's what he says to me. Pray for us, Rick. Last night, Patrick, that would be his teenage son in high school. Last night, Patrick was killed in a car accident. I jumped on the elevator, and I run up to my office, and I close the door, and I dialed John's number, and I say, John. And, and, I, and, I, and, I, and I just could not hardly process what I was hearing. It didn't feel, seem real. I was trying to get my mind around what John is trying to tell me about Patrick. And so a couple of weeks later, we went to Cincinnati to see family. And I called John and said, I'm coming and I want to spend time, and can we do it on this day? And he said, yeah, but let's don't just think about lunch. We, we need to plan for more time. And I said, oh, no problem. I can spend some time with you. And so we met for lunch, but n- neither of us were really hungry. And after we ate lunch, he said, come on and get in the car. We'll go for a ride. And I had no idea where we were going. And I was really surprised. And it, and it honestly felt a little uncomfortable to me. But we, we drove to the place where the accident happened. And he just puts the car in park right there in the middle of the highway. And he's kind of pointing at a tree and I think maybe back about here is where he lost control. I mean, he wanted me to sit with him in his place of pain. And then he puts the car in drive and we go right down to his house, just barely out of sight from his house. Patrick was almost home. I go in and I hug his wife and his daughter, and we pray together. And John says, Come on up here with me. And I didn't know where we were going, but we went upstairs. And he opens the door and he says, This is Patrick's bedroom. Come on in. And I walked into that bedroom, and he said, We haven't touched anything. It's just like he left it the morning he left. And he just wanted somebody to be with him in his place of pain. And I just stood and I looked around the bedroom. It looked like any teenage boy's bedroom. Bed was not made. There is no way that you can begin to compare these two stories Because with John and Patrick, it's like it was an accident, okay? And there is no way this could have been the will of God. And where is God in all of this situation? And you can say, I can tell you where God is. God is crying with John and Pat and Emily. But in this other story with Isaac and Abraham, it's like God is the one who is saying, let's do this. And what do you do when you're Abraham? Either you obey or you don't. And if you obey, then it's like you have nullified the promise. But I thought we were moving towards something here like this nation that was going to come through my son, Isaac. And, but if I don't do it, then do I nullify the promise? And beyond all of that, you're talking about losing a son. I mean, we get caught up in the agony of Abraham because he leaves camp that morning. Does he even say to Sarah... You know what I'm about to do? No, he doesn't. And if he had, would she have grabbed her arms around his legs and fallen at his feet and laid on the ground holding on the servants having to pry her away and her saying, Don't do this, Abraham. Don't take my son. I mean, there, there's no way when you just read through it can you kind of grasp the weight of it, right? Which makes the next part mind-blowing. Mind-blowing. Because back in chapter 12, when God says to Abraham, leave your country, your land, your father's household, go to the land that I will show you. Verse 4, so Abraham left. And I mean, my eyes get wide when I read where God says, take your son and offer him as a burnt offering. And you get to verse 3, and it says, so the next morning he got up and started chopping firewood. Okay, I'll just tell you something about me. I am not Abraham. I want to say that I'm a person of faith. I want to say that I trust God. I want to say that I believe. I mean, I just kind of scratched my head at this guy. Will I ever live up to that? A couple of things happen. One one thing that happens is is that Abraham says to the servants, you guys stay here me and the boy, we're going to go over here and we're going to worship and then we will come back to you. I don't know how God's going to do it, but God made me a promise about a nation. I'm going to obey God and somehow God is going to do something beyond me. When the Hebrew writer writes about Abraham, he says that Abraham reasoned in his heart That God could raise Isaac from the dead. I don't know if that's what Abraham was thinking or not. But in the mind of Abraham, God has spoken, I've heard his voice, and I'm going to obey. And I don't know how it's going to happen or what that looks like when it unfolds. But God will keep his promise. So here's what I do know, and here's where I have lived. And here's where you have lived. There are days in our lives when the only thing we know to do is to just obey God even though we don't know how it's all going to work out. I don't know what it's going to look like when I get there, but I believe God has spoken and so I'm going And I may be scared, and I may be shaken, and my heart may be beating fast, and I may feel inadequate, and everything else. But all I know today is that God spoke, and I'm going to obey. Can you imagine? His hands, when he is cutting those cords loose and unbinding his, can you imagine what? And he puts his arms around that boy. Wow. I think that's what we do. Let me give you some inspiration as to why we can do that. There's a guy, and uh, he's over here. Perry. Good morning, Perry. I'm going to read your story. Is that okay? So Perry wrote me this week, and I asked him if I could share, and he said that I could. Perry Garing said in the fall of 2011, I had a cardiac scan done. He said, I've been feeling okay, but I was really tired, and I was marking it up as just getting older. He said I was 55. I take a little offense to that, Perry, because I'm 55, so. Uh, 55 is not old. Can I get a witness on that? All right, all right. And I wondered, too, if it was just my multiple sclerosis that was acting up. To make a long story short, within two weeks, I had undergone a quadruple cardiac bypass. I came out of the surgery just fine and was feeling so much better after the recovery. So three weeks after surgery, he says, I was starting my cardio rehab routine. And I remember being on one of those bikes when all of a sudden I felt this crushing pain in my chest. And the pain was racing down my left arm and also going from my chest up both sides of my neck. I felt like I was in slow motion, and I almost fell off the bike. And in an instant, the doctor and the PA were at my side asking me what was wrong, but I could barely talk to them. The pain was great. I felt like my chest was in some kind of a vice. And the doctor yells, he's having a heart attack. Call the paramedics. And so luckily, my rehab facility was right next door to Baptist Hospital, and so the paramedics were there instantly. I remember being loaded onto the gurney, having them start an IV, and them giving me doses of nitroglycerin to try to open my arteries, but nothing seemed to ease the pain. They quickly loaded me into the ambulance, and away we raced to Oklahoma Heart Hospital. And every couple of minutes, they would give me another dose of nitroglycerin. They gave me seven doses on the way to the hospital. So Perry says, as we're speeding away to the hospital... There was the noise of the vehicle, the traffic, the sirens, the paramedics trying to shout over all the noise. There was this incredible pain and fear I was experiencing. And in all of that, Perry says, I just called out to God. I simply said, God, help me. If it's my time, I'm ready. And then Perry says, everything just stopped the noise the pain was gone it was as if time just stood completely still i felt like i was being bathed in a warm honey covering me from head to toe Incredible peace just invaded my soul. At that instant, I knew another presence had entered that ambulance. The great physician, the one who truly had my heart, was there beside me. And then he spoke to me, not, not an audible voice, but a voice that went directly to my soul, if that makes any sense at all. In those moments, this is what he told me. Perry, you're going to be fine. It's not your time. There's still a lot of work for you to do. You haven't seen anything yet of my power. Don't be afraid. Always rejoice in me, but most of all, Perry, remember how much I love you. And Perry said, and that quickly, he was gone. And all the noise and all the pain and all the frenzy came rushing back, except for the fear and the panic. It had disappeared. I was in pain, but I was calm. When we got to the hospital, it took several more hours to get me stabilized. Early the next morning, they determined I had developed a clot in my heart after the bypass surgery. And it had broken free and lodged in one of the new grafts, nearly blocking any blood flow. They immediately performed angioplasty, inserted a one and a half inch long stent in that artery. And I was released from the hospital the next day and I was feeling fine. But here's what Perry writes. I am in awe that God would care enough to create a thin place. Where he could minister to me and comfort me in my moment of need. And every day I have now is a gift from God. And I treasure the gift he has given me. What happened that day transformed me. I never have a bad day. I look forward to opportunities to serve others and tell them about Jesus. I don't worry or have fears about the present or the future. Because I understand he knows my path and he goes before me. As I travel down it, He is faithful in His promises. And I can completely trust Him. The reason you can trust God and believe Him is because in those moments of crisis, He will come to you just like you did to Perry. Just like he did to Abraham. Just like he's done for me. Let me tell you about my greatest crisis. You ready? You ready for this? You know what my greatest crisis in all of my life has been? My greatest crisis is my own sin. I mean, I am a son of Adam's race. I am bent. I lean towards sin. And here I am in all of my sin. And I can do nothing about my sin. You want to talk about a crisis? This is a crisis. I can't save myself. I can't make myself right with God. I have no hope of ever accomplishing that. There is distance between me and God. And I can't fix it. And in my moment of crisis, what does God do? He shows up in the form of a man. He comes into my world and he takes my sin upon himself. And he dies on a cross. Now here's a story of whether a father actually sacrifices his own son. And in my crisis, God comes to me. So I don't know what else God would need to do for you or for me to prove to you or to me that in our times of crisis, He will come to us because in our times of crisis, He has come to us. And sometimes in those times of crisis are the thinnest moments of our lives. In my darkest hour I turned and who was there but God himself I agree so why don't you stand with me we'll pray okay today before we go we'll take whatever time we need to pray before we go and so maybe you're in a crisis Maybe you're the person who is saying, Rick, I have prayed more in these last few weeks or months than I have prayed in the last few years. And you've been wondering, so when is God going to show up? So if that's where you are today, I would say, just pray. And I invite you to come to an altar if you want to pray. And there'll be pastors here. There'll be a pastor here. There'll be a pastor here. And if you want to come to one of the pastors, just come to one of the pastors and say, hey, pray with me, will you? If, if you're sick and you want to be anointed to be healed, that's a crisis. Just come and say to one of those pastors, "Would you, would you pray for my healing? And they would love to do that, okay? If the crisis you're facing right now is sin and you want to be forgiven of sin and you want to be transformed, if you want to be born again, if you want your life to be radically changed, if you want to be forgiven and come to walk with Jesus, you can do that today. For whatever reason you want to pray, feel free to come and pray.
0: So today, go knowing that you have been in a thin place where the distance between yourself and the presence of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit has vanished.
2: Go in his peace. You're dismissed.
0: You have been listening to a message from Bethany First Church of the Nazarene. Visit us online at bethanynaz.org.